may be seated. Good morning, church. I want to introduce you to someone if you have not met him yet. I have my privilege of having my brother Roy here. Roy, would you come up for a second? Roy and I have a great term that we use in talking to each other. We're we're double brothers. We're not just biological brothers. We're spiritual brothers in the Lord. And I can can tell you, I know Roy doesn't mind me saying this, but this life, this, this big brother right here of mine is the most radically transformed life that I have personally, I believe, witnessed in in all of my ministry. What am I doing? Yeah, right on. Credible, uh, always has the Lord on his mind and heart and on his lips. It's fun to see him on a construction site. Every subcontractor that comes onto the site, about 10 minutes to hearing about Jesus somehow. So it's, it's a privilege, bud, to have you as a double brother. And I just want you to pray. Pray for me as I preach the word. And I know you have a passion for that too. We're about to talk to the living God of the universe. Your heart's ready for that? Let's do that. God, we come to you with humbled hearts, understanding from what we've just received through the worship of our Lord that that spirit is on our hearts, God. And as uh, my little brother, my double brother here has studied this week and heard from God a message to share with us. We pray that your spirit opens our hearts to be receptive to the message, God, that you have went ahead and prepared for us. We ask your blessing to be upon that. And as we pray, Lord, uh, over the congregation, I know there's many needs here today. I'm getting a sense to pray for the physical healing of some without even being requested, God, that there are some here who need a touch in their bodies. So we'd ask you to do that. We'd ask you to be with them today. But also, Lord, I get a sense that there are some here whose hearts need a spiritual touch, that they need the Holy Spirit to come into their lives, open their eyes to see and to to know the true value of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as the word is preached today, we ask you to do that as well. To let their hearts not be distracted by outside things going on, by thought processes that get in the way of hearing your word, that you would do that in a powerful way, even if it's just one, Lord, that needs that transformation to take place. We pray that you would do that through the through the miracle that you do in the preached word today. Your anointing on your servant, Brad. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am, I'm not going to preach this morning on what I had anticipated preaching on. I talked to you about last week. We've been walking back again through Romans seventh chapter there, but I'm not going to do that, and I want to tell you, I think it's important that I tell you why. The section that we're coming to in Romans 7, really Romans 7 is divided up into three sections. That last section of Romans 7 starts about verse 12 or 13 down to the end of the chapter. It is, it is one of the most controversial, debated passages of Scripture in all of the Word of God. And it's going to take me at least two or three Sundays to get through that section. And through a chain, an unforeseen chain of events here recently, I'm scheduled to be flying out of town here this afternoon and we'll be gone for about two and a half weeks. Um, Might miss uh, at least two or three Sundays. And so I I just do not think it would do justice to the text or would be healthy to start into that last part of Romans chapter 7 and then stop for two or three weeks and then try to come back to it. And so we're going we're gonna to hold off on that and I'm just going to preach a standalone message this morning. 
And I also want to say about my, my trip, um, looking at just the church calendar, just from a human perspective, it's really not a good time for me to be heading out of town. And I want you to know that this is really something that I can't uh, change. Uh, some things developed. Uh, I'm actually going down for um, having bilateral total knee replacements on Friday of this coming week in Seattle. And I need to do that uh, now as opposed to later. And so um, I'm going to be taken out during a time when our church is in some pretty significant transition. Um, we're going through just a whole reworking of life groups. Uh, we're going to be talking extensively about that in the weeks uh, to come here. New paradigm for ministry related to that. And so I, I feel awkward stepping you know, away from the helm while we do that. But I also have great confidence in our staff. We have a great staff here. And so I'm, I'm trusting maybe God's getting me out of the way so stuff can happen that wouldn't happen if I was here. I don't know. So anyway, I'll be praying for you. Uh, you be praying for me. Been talking to you about some pretty heavy stuff the last couple of Sundays from Romans 7. And what I want to do this morning is I just want, since this is a standalone, we're not going to be there in Romans, I, I just want to, I want to, I want to lift your spirits. I want to encourage you this morning. I believe God's Word is always encouraging, but sometimes the, the content being discussed is pretty heavy. This will be, I believe, greatly uplifting. We'll start it with this. There's a legend about a crane and a swan. The crane was along the banks of the river, pecking his way through the murky waters and the mud, looking for snails, delicious snails. And the swan came flying by and looked down and saw the crane, decided to land up on the bank there and get a closer look. And so this pure, white, beautiful, graceful winged bird lands up on the knoll, catches the crane's attention and the crane just for a few minutes stares dumbfounded, kind of in awe, looking at the swan. Finally, the crane says, where did you come from? Swan says, I came from heaven. Heaven? What's heaven? And the swan replied, you mean to tell me that you have never heard about heaven? You've never heard about the streets paved with gold? The river of life that runs through the center of that great city. Tree planted there whose leaves bring healing to the nation. Foundation of the city set with precious jewels and stones beyond your wildest imagination. Trying to use all of his skilled oratory to impress the crane, but it obviously was having no effect. So the crane finally says, well, are there any snails there? Snails? No, there are not any snails in heaven. To which the crane replied, well, then you can have your heaven. I'll keep my snails. Now that story does have a point. Has a if you take some time to let it sink in, it has a pretty profound, hard hitting truth. And here it is. How desperately 
we need as followers of Christ, as those who are on the journey toward heaven, how desperately we need to have a glimpse of heaven in the eyes of our hearts, in the eyes of our mind. How desperately we need to take the time to turn our attention, to lift our chin and look up instead of just going through life in the murky waters of this world with our head down and our hands and feet in the mud, working diligently to uncover and attain the treasures that the world offers without ever looking up being so consumed with the things down here, paying little to no attention of the glorious things up there. That is a great need of the church. And do you know that that is the direct instruction or command of Scripture to the follower of Christ. Scripture that says, do not set your mind on earthly things, but set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where your gaze needs to be. That's where your heart needs to be set. That's what you need to be longing for and reaching for. Not spending your time head down deep in the murky waters of the world digging endlessly for the temporal treasures that it can offer for the snails. So what I want to do this morning is I want you and I for the next 30, 40 minutes, I want us to lift our head. I want us to look up and from the Word of God, which is the only place you're going to get a vision of heaven, is to look at what the Word of God says about it because God's the one that knows about it. And I want us to zero in and look at the occupations or the activities of heaven that you and I as followers of Christ will be engaged in when we are there. So let's walk through. I want to show you five, five occupations, five activities that the residents of heaven will be engaged in that will help us to lift our eyes for a moment and turn our attention off of the temporal fleeting things of the world to see what is coming. First of all, and these aren't in any specific order and these are not exhaustive. I'm just going to give you five things that I see really clearly in Scripture related to the occupations of heaven. Here's the first one. In heaven, we will worship with passion without distraction. In heaven, we will worship with passion, without distraction. John, Jesus gave John a glimpse into heaven in Revelation, and John passed that glimpse on to us. Revelation chapter 7, 9 and 10. Let me read it for you. John wrote, After this I looked, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes 
and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. First of all, general overview, key component here that I want you to see in case you missed it. The activity of heaven is worship. The activity of heaven is worship. Worship around the throne of God. You know, we, if you're like me, and the scenario that this is usually painted in, we rail from this idea, right? We somehow are not extremely motivated thinking about sitting there endlessly over and over again, repeating and chanting the same lines over and over again in our little white outfits on the white clouds strumming our little harps, right? I mean, that's the picture that we paint. What I, what I want you to see is, is that's not the picture that John saw. But it's the picture that is so commonly communicated. One Sunday school teacher trying to enthuse her young students with the glorious worship of heaven described it like this. Here's what we're going to do, kids. We're going to get the hymn books and we're going to open to number one and we're going to sing the first hymn and the second and all the way to the end and then we're going to go right back to the beginning and start again. And all of her enthusiasm did not seem to light a fire in the children. Nor me. What did John see when he had a picture into heaven and he peered behind the veil What did John see? He saw an incredible celebration taking place. It was a party going on in heaven. A radically enthusiastic party. A party in which the members were fully engaged and participating with zeal and energy, and vitality. Let me give you three statements there. He said that they were in white robes, they were carrying palm branches, and they were crying out with a loud voice. First of all, they were wearing white robes. That's a symbol for the purity of righteousness. They were People, beings that he saw there that were pure, that were undivided in their worship and in their attention. They were not doing what they were doing half-heartedly. They were righteously pure about it. And then they were carrying Palm branches. Palm branches is a symbol of joy and victory in Scripture. This was a victory celebration going on. And how perfectly that fits with the loud cry that was going out in heaven. If it was waving palm branches with the loud cry, guess what the cry was? They were cries of victory. It was a victory celebration that he saw going on in heaven around the throne. And what was it that motivated that victory celebration? Let me tell you what it was not. It wasn't that they had glorified bodies. Those were great. But that wasn't the reason. It was not because they had pure hearts. Those were great, but that was not the reason. 
It's not because there were 10,000 times 10,000 angels in perfect harmony and majesty singing. That was great, but that was not the reason. The worship of heaven is for the King of heaven. There was spontaneous worship erupting out of every fiber of their being because what he saw there was beings around the throne of God seeing His glory as it is. And in that emanation of His glory, the piercing light of that glory going right through them causing spontaneous eruptions of praise to break forth from every fiber of their being. That's going to happen to you. It's not going to be, oh my goodness, are we going to do this course the sixth time now? Come on. You know, kind of shifting around, looking at the... (laughs) That's not going to be happening in heaven. That is not going to be happening in heaven you will not be able to contain the spontaneous, this artesian well of praise that is going to leap forth from the depths of your heart and make its way out of your lips when you look at the glory and the majesty of your Creator. That's why I say, from that picture that John gave us and many others, that in heaven we're going to worship with passion, without distraction. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. And they and we shall see His face. It's going to be all it's going to take right there. Here's the second thing. We're going to serve with enthusiasm without exhaustion. We're going to serve with enthusiasm without exhaustion. Exhaustion. Can't get our heads and minds around that right now, can we? We get up and we, we, we drag ourselves out of bed in the morning, seemingly tired, then we, we woke up. Oh, we went to sleep. And then we collapse into bed at night, but in heaven it's going to be a different story. A radically different story. We're going to serve with enthusiasm without exhaustion. You see, your shouts of victorious, spontaneous praise, that's not the only thing that you're going to be doing in heaven. You're definitely going to be doing that, but that's not the only thing that you're going to be doing. In heaven, you're going to serve. Listen, Revelation 22.3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, talking about heaven, And his servants will serve him. Those two words there look the same in English, just another form of the word servants and serve. It's not that way in the Greek. Two different words. The word for servant there is slave. That in the city... His slaves or bond slaves. And then the word for serve is literally worship. Is literally worship. That they will, his bond slaves will worship him. But here's the picture. Through your service, you will worship. That the worship of heaven is also the service of heaven. 
So that the things that you do in service to God are going to be acts of worship. Just like down here on earth, our worship is a part of what we do in our time of praise. But we also worship Him when we open up our pocketbooks and we give the money back to Him as He's told us to. And when we serve needy people like He wants us to. Those are acts of worship. Service acts of worship. In heaven, the service that we do is going to be acts of worship unto God. And oh, the things that we will do as we serve Him. Let me just give you a couple. We will serve God by judging the world and angels. Now that, that's almost shocking to say. And if I would have come up with it, it would be heresy. But I didn't come up with it. I'm just passing on something that God passed on. Let me read you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases, meaning down here on earth? Then he says again, do you not know that we will judge angels? Do you not know, follower of Christ, that you're going to judge the world and you're going to judge angels? You're going to judge the fallen angels, the demons of the other world? You see, you're going to be given an understanding, a far greater understanding of God's divine justice for one thing that's going to equip you to do that. But let your mind run with that idea for a minute that you're going to judge angels, that you're going to judge the fallen angels, the demons. These are the forces of Satan that oppress you every day. These are the ones that are scheming against you and working against you day in and day out. You in your heart know those that are more effective against you than others. Run with the thought that as a follower of Christ, on that final day in heaven, you're going to judge the demons. Which ones do you want to judge? Which ones far too often trip you up and knock you down and stick you with the sharp knives of temptation? You see, by the authority of Jesus Christ, those spiritual evil beings that attack and oppress us and push us down, one day we're going to put our foot on the back of their neck in judgment. We're going to do that in heaven. The Bible says that we're going to do that in heaven. That doesn't sound boring to me. Anybody else in here, does that sound boring to? That does not sound boring to me. And you see the statement that's going to make, not about us, but about Jesus Christ, who so incredibly victoriously conquered all that he didn't just do it himself, that he passes on the authority to those created in his image and lets them carry out the task of judging the demonic spirits. Oh, what a statement to the full and complete victory and glory and power of Jesus Christ that is going to be. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Which ones do you want to judge?
discouragement? Which ones do you want to judge? Bitterness? Which ones do you want to judge? Lust? Which ones do you want to judge? Unforgiveness? We're going to serve God with enthusiasm without exhaustion. And we're going to do so by judging the world and angels. Secondly, we're going to do so by reigning with Christ. By reigning with Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, first half of both of those verses, Paul wrote to Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying, if we endure, we will also reign with Him, with Christ. We don't have a lot of detailed information on what that means, but I know it includes this. Reigning includes dominion and leadership and rule. We're going to do that in heaven. We're going to have dominion and leadership and rule. We're going to reign with Christ. How much does Christ reign? Church? Forever. Over how much? Over everything. Christ reigns over all. All things were created by Him and for Him. In Him all things hold together. We're going to reign with Him. What amount of reigning are you prepared for? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I am not talking about your merit whatsoever. Anything that you do, you do because of the grace of God. Anything that you do for God, for eternal things, is done through the power of God, through His grace. But the New Testament is very clear about this reality right here. That you get to determine the amount of reigning that you will do by how you live right here and now. There is a reigning quotient related to what you do in this little slice called time between two eternities. That's like the twinkling of an eye. And if you spend this twinkling of an eye as a believer looking down, head down, hands and feet in the mud and muck of the world, spending all of your energy and all of your resources trying to dig up the treasures of the world, the snails for your personal satisfaction, you're going to miss out on some raining that you could have done if you would have lived with your head up with your heart and eyes focused. Jesus Christ told a parable that taught this in Luke chapter 19. He talked about a a wealthy man that was going on a journey and to three of his servants, he called them in and to one he gave ten talents and to one five and another one and then he went on his journey and when he returned, he called them in so that they would give an account of what they had done with what he had given. The one who had been given ten put it to good use as a good steward and gained ten more. The one who had been given five put it to good use and as a good steward gained five more. Listen to what Jesus said about those two men. Speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Well done, my good servant, the master said. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, the ten talents... Take charge of ten cities. That sounds a little bit like raining, doesn't it? The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. You see, what we do here impacts what takes place there. Not that we earn it whatsoever in any way. The incredible thing is this. 
It's such an upside-down return rate. You spend the twinkling of an eye, this little slice of time between two eternities, just being faithful with what God gave you, and the returns are literally out of this world. Out of this world. Do you know what earth and your life here is all about? Let me give it to you in a cliff note sentence. It's about you getting prepared for eternity. I mean, you can boil it down to that. You getting prepared for eternity. Not you being consumed with the here and now, but you living the here and now, feet here, but eyes there, heart there, mind there, realizing that that is really your reality, a far greater reality than the here and now. And if you take your time in the here and now and that you let your life be consumed with this and the digging around in the mud for the snails, you are missing everything out oh you are missing out on what will never tarnish what will never fade what will be enjoyed forever and ever and be as fresh and as new 10,000 years from now as it was the moment you stepped into glory What are you doing with what God has given you? In heaven, you're going to serve Him by judging and by reigning. Number three, in heaven we will, this sounds like a pretty strange sentence. Hopefully I can explain it. In heaven, we're going to rest with strength without boredom. We're going to rest with strength without boredom. Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Just a quick word here. The rest of heaven is not a rest of inactivity. The rest of heaven is a rest of effortless, vigorous activity. The rest of heaven is the rest of effortless, vigorous activity in service to the Lord. This is true of heaven. Alexander McLaren said this, in heaven, the deepest rest and the highest activities coincide. The deepest rest and the highest activities coincide. So in heaven, you're going to rest with strength without boredom. Here's why. Because heaven's rest comes without toil. You know that word toil. The arduous by the sweat of your brow and the brokenness of your body, the labor that you are involved in right now, it's not going to be like that in heaven. There's not going to be any toil. There's going to be labor, but it's restful labor. It is effortless. It is full of vitality and life and energy and power, but it doesn't wear you out. The rest in heaven will be a rest from want, a rest from trouble, a rest from weariness. Here's the fourth thing that you're going to do in heaven. If you're a follower of Christ, in heaven, you're going to fellowship in joy without fear. You're going to fellowship in joy without fear. First of all, no fear of God. It's going to be no fear of God. First John 4.18 There is no fear 
in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear is to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You remember what happened to John? Revelation, first opening part of the book, he got the vision of Jesus Christ, saw his son, face like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. And what happened to John? Anybody remember? John went flat on his face. In fact, it says that he was flat on his face as though he were dead. He was like stone cold dead under the weight of the glory of Jesus Christ that he just got a glimpse of. It just took him out. Part of that is related to fear. Because he wasn't perfect. Isaiah chapter 6. What happened to Isaiah in chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne with the train of his robe filling the temple? What did Isaiah do when he saw that picture of God's glory? He went down. And he cried out, Woe is me! For I am a man of unclean Lips, You see, fear has to do with punishment. But he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion the day of Christ Jesus. And when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him face to face as he is. And all of that stuff is going to be purged out of our lives. And there's going to be no need for fear because there's not going to be any remnant of sin left in us. No fear of God. We're going to fellowship with God in joy without fear. But there's also going to be no fear of others. There's going to be no fear of others. I know you can relate to this. Let me back up a second. I, I want to give you this quote. I don't know if it will mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. Mr. Conley says this, one of the least recognized and appreciated aspects of God's character is His joy. Is His joy. We serve a joy-filled God. I am convinced, he writes, that when we are ushered into the great banquet that we call the kingdom of God, we will immediately know where Jesus is. Because we will hear his voice ringing out with laughter. There will be joy there, not fear. And then no fear of others. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To those who have now been made perfect. Perfect. Do you know why we fear other people? Let me give you a couple of the reasons. We fear being misunderstood. You ever feared that? We fear being misquoted. We fear being misrepresented. That ain't going to happen in heaven. This chasm. Oh man, this means so much to me as a as a communicator of God's truth for my calling, my profession. This means so much to me. In heaven, that chasm between what is intended to be spoken and what is heard on the other end, that sometimes Grand Canyon chasm. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever run into that chasm in your own life where you have tried with all of your heart to do the very best to say what needed to be said and it's completely misunderstood. There have been, not a lot, but there have been a few times where I have been blown out of the water at what somebody else heard me say on a Sunday morning. 
I mean, literally just, you could not have been in the same room as I was in. That's kind of my thought process. I don't say that. I'm very polite externally. That chasm is going to be gone in heaven. We're not going to fear that anymore. There's not going to be any more, any more hidden agendas. There's not going to be any more veins of animosity. There's not going to be any more emotions of jealousy or hearts of self-centeredness. Those are going to be gone because it's going to be those righteous made perfect. We're not going to need to fear anymore, meaning we're going to be able to fellowship in joy without fear, without fear of God and without fear of other people and what might be going on in their minds. I know men are plagued a little bit with that. Ladies are really plagued with that. What are they thinking? Are they viewing me? That's just going to be gone in heaven. Here's number five. We're going to learn. I love this one. Oh, I love this one. We're going to learn with excitement without limit. Let me say that again. We're going to learn with excitement without limit. Limit. Ephesians 2 7. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said this In order that in the coming ages he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There is a concept implied, I believe clearly implied in that passage and there are other passages as well but he's going to show us because we don't yet know he's going to be showing us the incomparable riches of his grace let me just translate that into how I read that That means that we are going to be for all of eternity realizing, learning, growing, seeing more and more of the greatness of God and His glory and His grace. We're going to learn more about it for all eternity, moment by moment by moment. We're not going to know Him fully when we... We're not God. We're not going to be God when we get there. We're not going to be unlimited like Him, but we're going to have new and greatly expanded minds as well as glorified bodies. And those minds are going to learn. And hallelujah, they're not going to forget. I am so excited about that right there. They're not going to forget. But the capacity of our mind and the subject matter that is being fed to our mind, the glory of God, I mean, there's nothing greater than that in the universe. And we're going to be seeing new facets of that brilliant diamond of God's glory. And we're going to go, wow! And then, oh my, wow! And then, oh my, wow! It's just going to be an incredible explosion of understanding that never, ever gets old. That every new shade and nuance of the glory of God is going to blow us out of the water, I believe, greater than the last one. And we thought that the last one was more than we could handle. And that's going to happen all the time throughout all eternity. Man, that does not sound boring to me. That does not sound boring to me. Does that encourage you? Oh my word, that is so incredible. So consider the five occupations of heaven. And let me ask you, do you want to be a crane? 
knowing that that is yours? If you're a follower of Christ, do you want to be a crane walking around, stuck in the mud, digging around in the filth, working with all of your energy and all of your resources to uncover some of the earthly treasures that are just going to, they're just temporal and they're going to fade away and come to nothing. Is that what you want to be? Or do you want to be one that has his head up? Feet here, but head up. Focused on the reality that is to come. Not having your mind set on earthly things, but having your mind set on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which in a spiritual reality, so are you if you're a follower of Christ. I mean, not one day. I mean, right now, that's your deal if you're a follower of Christ. That's how God sees you. It's already a done Finished transaction. And all of that is yours. And yet here's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants to tell us the snails are the best. Just look for the snails. Just look for the snails. Oh man, just think of that next tender morsel snail. When if we would look up, the unlimited, inexhaustible, indescribable riches of heaven are ours. And every day, we could say this statement in heaven and it would be accurate. It just doesn't get any better than this. And then, wow, it just doesn't get any better than this. Oh my goodness, it just doesn't get. And that is the true reality of where we're going. I want to read you a quote from a great storyteller. A great storyteller by the name of C.S. Lewis comes from a series of books for children that he wrote, The Chronicles of Narnia. Listen to how he ends. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's a little glimpse, a little nugget idea about what heaven's going to be like. Every chapter, every day is going to be beyond your wildest imaginations. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But then the next day is going to even be better. So the question of application. In this little slice of time between two eternities, this little twinkling of an eye called your earthly life. Are you making the most of your moments? Are you making the most of your moments? Or are you stuck head down digging around 
in the murk of the world. Psalms 90.12 teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know what a heart of wisdom does? A heart of wisdom lives focused on what's above. A heart of wisdom sets his or her mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. Basically, a heart of wisdom lives for the line, not the dot. This is the dot. The line is coming. The endless line is coming. And you can use your time on the dot, this little dot. And be preparing yourself for the line. Would you please stand, worship team? Would you come? I want to pray a prayer over you. God has already, if you're a follower of Christ, He has already so richly, lavishly blessed you. I want to pray a prayer that His blessings would be realized by you. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're here this morning and you are hearing the reality of heaven and of Christ who made heaven possible for you, He wants to give you that today. He died so that you could have it. And he was thinking about you when he was on the cross. Paying for your sin. Because he wants to take you to heaven. It's not his will that any should perish. But that all should have eternal life. You can receive that today. Let me pray. Father. Lord, I... I just ask you, Lord, that you would let the truth of heaven, let the truth of the glory that is ours through you as followers of Christ, let that truth so deeply penetrate our hearts. Help us, God. Help us not to Use the eternal capacity with which you have created us for temporal endeavors. Help us to see the foolishness of living like the crane. Now that does not mean that we don't do our jobs and do them well and do our best as we work in the marketplace of the world? Absolutely not. It simply means that we do them as if serving you, not men. It says in Colossians, in fact, that that's how we are supposed to approach our vocations, as if serving Christ himself. but to be recognizing you in the midst of it, to be acknowledging you, to be uncaptivated by the things of the world and captivated by you, where our treasure would be you. Not the things that this world could give. That our satisfaction would be in a growing walk with you not in the accumulation of our portfolio or our holdings. Help us to keep our hearts and minds set on things above as we serve you faithfully down here below. And then, Lord, For those here that 
are sensing you calling them to come offering salvation to them. Those that are faith is coming alive in their life. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that what he did in his death on the cross in payment for sin and in his resurrection from death defeating death and sin and hell and offering victory if we simply believe in him and what he's done. That's not cheap grace. That costs the greatest price. But it is free. Give them faith to believe today. Let this truth work into their hearts till they surrender to you. They repent of their sin and they accept your forgiveness. Jesus. Christ's name, I pray, amen.